0: Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled, right? There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important.
1: Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh?
0: It's too read Will. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. Joining me today is Billy Das, the Indie Dork. What's up, Billy? Ah oh, man, nothing but amazing things. But who are you, sir? Oh, I'm Brad Gullickson, the mouth dork. Yeah, amazing things. This is really exciting. We are bringing you a special bonus episode because we wanted to bring this conversation with Josh Lobo, the writer-director of I Trap the Devil, to you just as his film is
2: opening this weekend. Yeah, we were very blessed with an opportunity to see it at the Chattanooga Film Festival, um, and it is gorgeous. If it is playing near you locally at a theater... Definitely make time to go see it on a big screen as loud as possible. But, dude, if it's worth seeing at home, too, on VOD. It is amazing.
0: Yeah, it is playing on demand. I can tell you for sure that if you shut off all the lights in your place, scooch your chair right up close to the TV, I Trap the Devil will rot your brain. It's so scary. Yeah. it's It's a very moody, atmospheric piece. And if you give yourself to it, it will take you in. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Absolutely correct.
0: So we had this conversation with Josh over the phone. Uh, we met him at the Chattanooga Film Festival. We got to chat about the WGA strike. Ooh, that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just got to have a few drinks with him and get to know the guy. And he was so nice to agree to this phone conversation and very generous with his time and also very generous with his experiences making *Eye Trap the Devil and what got him moved into this experience after having already made one attempt with a
2: movie. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's I think it's the way that we experience failure and how we respond to us that kind of defines who we are and, and the levels of success that we'll see in the future because everybody fails. Uh, but t- damn, if you can turn your failure into uh, your next project and be I Trap the Devil, I think you're doing all right.
0: Now, we're not going to spoil anything really beyond the title of this movie in the conversation. It's called I Trap the Devil. There's a trap. There's a devil. Uh, We talk about that a little bit. Uh, But I would encourage you to watch the movie before the conversation just because it's there. It's available. Go watch it. Make it happen. Then come back. But if you need a little extra encouragement, I also think this conversation will help you in that regard. I agree. Basically, go support this dude. Go support the dude. And go support independent cinema. Yeah. All right.
2: So let's just jump right into this chat. And welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness chatcast. Today, we're joined by Josh Lobo, the writer and director of I Trapped the Devil, which is an absolutely gorgeous, emotional, sort of like 70s period piece, uh, horror film Uh, literally, about a man who claims to have trapped the devil. And when his brother and sister-in-law arrive at the house, things go awry. But, you know, before we started this conversation, we were talking a little bit about first features and what happens when they really don't get up off the ground or they fail. And how do you recover from that? Um, And I've been really interested to hear Josh's thoughts on this. But you know what, Uh, Brad, I think that you've got really the angle on that question. So I'm going to throw it over to you, sir. Josh, I'm
0: fascinated by this idea that you went out to make a movie, it did not work, and you have to rediscover your confidence to put yourself out there again and and bring I Trap the Devil uh, to life. Can you take us through that emotional experience between one film to this film? Um,
1: so when we, we failed the first one, you know, there was a lot of cool stuff in there and it's something like nobody will ever see it because it's just not a complete vision and it, you know, it didn't really work, but like, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about kind of like shot composure and, um, kind of like camera movement. I'm a much more kind of classical director. I think, you know, I, I, my my heroes, like my my Mount Rushmore of filmmakers, is like Spielberg, Hitchcock, like David Lynch, and I don't know Xavier Dolan. <laughs> like yeah. um, that's a yeah, pretty good it, list. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's interesting, and, and so I I come at everything from um, like classical, but a little bit more art house, and. When this one failed, I, I kind of retreated back into like what what I liked the most. I used to watch a lot of movies, and you know I just would watch everything. I would go to the movies and I'd watch everything that came out. And uh, I found like a lot of the stuff I was I was writing. I was trying to ape other things, and so I, I stopped. I stopped watching TV. I stopped watching movies. Like I'll go see like weird weird things. Like like I made it a point to go see Hellboy. Which I I loved. Yes, Um, did we? We loved
2: it too. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it was super. It was super fun. But like, you know, I I I won't. I don't see like a lot of movies in theaters, and I don't watch any television. What I do is I I read a lot, and I um I like I give myself much more time to just like um think about the things that I like, and so like going into my second feature, it, it was less about like okay, cool like. Because at the time, John Carpenter-esque things were very popular, like a Mm -hmm. lot of John Carpenter. It was before Stranger Things, too. It was like The Guest and um, Almost Human. There was a lot of John Carpenter stuff going on, which kind of peaked with Stranger Things. And I wasn't – I just wanted to stay away from kind of what the current trends were and make something that just felt like it represented what I wanted. And I think the movie does. It represents sort of my weird tastes, you know. I love Mario Bava. I love um, Ryan Gosling's Lost River. Oh, I love hell David yes! Bl- yeah, it's great. I love um, David Lynch and uh, just like classic Spielberg too. Like I would watch like Jaws and Close Encounters and really kind of dissect the way he treated his characters. I also really got into like um, Matt Reeves' Let Me In, mm-hmm. which, is, which I think is a phenomenal movie that's underrated. Play. Yeah, it doesn't get the credit because but like Matt Reeves really went out of his way to try to like differentiate that movie from Let the Right One In and kind of put his own spin on it. But because, you know, you can only adapt a book so many ways, like it is similar. But just the camera work and, and the the tone and feel of it is, is very much him. And so I, I would I would look at the things that I liked and I wouldn't watch them. I would my inspiration would come from sort of the way that I remembered them. Mm-hmm. Which I, which I think is a very powerful tool because, you know, I have – I could tell you every single scene from Let Me In in, in order and, you know, I haven't seen it in uh, four or five years. But then, you know, you watch the movie and I'm completely wrong. So so my, hmm. my memory of it is one way and the movie could be a totally different way. But I was sort of channeling the inspiration from like what I remembered it
0: being so going into production on i trap the devil uh are you f- are you getting energized by these inspirations that you're remembering or chasing um, or, or or are you just wanting to get back on the horse because not to be there would be uh, uh tragic because it's so I mean, easy I'm, to quit
1: yeah yeah it, it is so easy to quit Here, but the thing is like I'm not good at at anything, um, <laughs> other than, ma- yeah, than, than making movies.
2: I, like well, I just stop you. Cause I, I saw the movie. Uh, well, I guess you're saying other than making movies, the movie's pretty good. So
1: good. I, and like, I, I guess I'm like, I'm not good at, um, like I can't, I have a hard time. Like, like I'm a bartender, but I have a hard time like staying focused in a day job and I don't really know what I would do like the nine to five doesn't necessarily work for me. It just like, it drives me insane and I I get very antsy. And so every day I'm not making movies is like the worst day of my life. Hmm. And so it was, you know, for years it's just like a bunch of pent up inspiration and just like to, to get on set. And every time you get on set, it's, it's hell. It's it's terrible, but it's still cool. Um, being there and doing what you know, you want to be doing, so with, with <clears throat> i trapped the devil you know i made the movie that i, I wanted to make 100% this is the exact movie that i want to watch hmm. and now when it comes out you know i think the the reception so far the reception has either been like very good or like people are not into it you know it's kind of it's kind of 50-50 and like i'm okay with that i think divisive movies are interesting because people are talking about them
0: mm-hmm,
1: and mm-hmm. especially with like movies that cause like this is a horror movie but I do think it like it has like art film sort of tendencies, sure, uh, without maybe being like I don't feel like it's uber pretentious. but you know, with my next one, i I'd like to sort of take a take a step further into what can i what can I like inject into this that might you know appease an audience like a little bit more?
0: Mm.
2: yeah find that um that conflict between what what becomes more commercial and what becomes appealing to be kind of an interesting thing especially seeing as how for you this has been born out of initial defeat right um you know you you, you are defeated by by uh, being over ambitious in in what you're doing in your first movie and then in the second movie you make something that's in, you know entirely for you and and i agree i think it's art house um in, in, at least in the sense that it's that it's very emotional and and it's very visual in terms of what what's being experienced on the screen it's not so blockbuster and that's either gonna work for somebody or not um but like if you find success with the people who like those types of movies do you feel inclined as an artist to lean into that success or do you want to expand the audience of people who enjoy the work that you put out
1: i i think there's there's a there's a a fine line between the two. Um, you know, I like there, you know, there are a lot of people that make films purely for themselves and, you know, they, you know, they go to can and then they have success in can, but their, their movie comes out and, you know, makes, makes, it's a $5 million movie. It takes, makes 200,000 at the box office. Right. And you know, everyone's like, wow, that movie was fantastic. But like nobody saw it. Right. Um, and you can become kind of a cult figure. I'd like to find a middle ground between like making films that I want to make that feel personal that, you know, are about where I think I trap the devil is about like miscommunication and it, it you know, it's whether I'm successful or not. It's about, um, it's about, it's about, grief to a certain extent and sort of the family dynamic which it's it's more about the characters I would like to continue to make things like that but I would also like to give the audience the things that they like too. and I think I think there's a way and you know I'm young enough in my career that I, I haven't quite figured that out but I would love to be able to make something that mixes both the art house tendency where it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more intellectual, you know, there's maybe a little less exposition, but some of the kind of like thrilling audience moments that kind of get the, get the crowd pumping a little bit. And when they leave, they're like, wow, that was cool. And even if it's just a couple moments like that, I I think, I think that's important because if you, if you keep making things just for yourself, eventually, you know, there's going to be sort of this pattern of like, okay, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of these for me, but I don't know if my audience is going to grow beyond like that. And so, you know, it, it, it is a fine line.
2: Hmm. I guess, I don't know. I guess that's kind of an interesting thing too, is how we define success and what ultimately matters for us. Like how, how would you define uh, success for I trap the devil right now? I mean, we're, we're coming up uh, right on the release of the movie. Uh, what, what, what would make that movie feel successful to you?
1: I mean, for me, I think the movie already is a success, you know, I'm I'm a kid from at least in my book. You know, I'm I'm a kid from Wyoming who had zero ties to the film industry. Who I moved to LA and um, I dropped out of film school and I failed at my first feature. So to have this film, you know, our our trailer dropped in Entertainment Weekly. You know, we're playing That's festivals like it got yeah, it got picked up by IFC. We're getting we're getting like a vinyl for the soundtrack. It's getting a Blu Ray. Like that is success. You know, I don't need to make a dollar. Like success is the fact that like. I I wanted to be a filmmaker and I found validation in being a filmmaker moving forward though, you know, for me, my success is being able to make my next one, be that, you know, insidious eight or, (laughs) you know, a a new art house movie. It's like, you know, I kind of, it gets to the point where you're like, you're driving down a road and you have to choose whether you're going to go right or left. And, and that's, you know, that's something that, I hope presents itself in in the near future. You know, to an extent, maybe after this one, maybe after the next one. But it's one of those things that every single time you make one of these things, because that you are making them, kind of years in difference. You have to you take basically the life experience that you have while making it, and you bring that on to the next one. And you're always in a different place. So now I could say, hey, fuck you. You know, I want to make art movies forever. But like five years from now, if I have a kid and you know my art movies aren't playing, like hell yeah, dude! Blumhouse gives me a movie. I would, I would, I would love to make that. You know, maybe I'd make some money. Maybe I would broaden the audience a bit.
0: Yeah, amen, amen. Uh, you know, so we were all just at the Chattanooga Film Festival together, and uh, we were all in the same theater to watch Travis Stevens's new movie, uh, The Girl on the Third Floor, and. I loved that when it came time to do a Q&A with Travis, you were one of the first hands that went up and you wanted to talk to him about the set of his film. And watching your movie, your film is very much um, uh, interested in the surroundings. You know, you have this one location that you're dealing with uh, and obviously you have to pull that off. So, you know, what are your feelings about like, why, why is that on the forefront of your mind when you watch Travis's film? And what are you looking for in setting your location as a filmmaker? Well, one, I I love Travis's film. I I think it's,
1: I think it, it, it's a movie that while I do think there are like imperfections, it ticked off all of my boxes. Like everything that I went, I want to see when I go see an indie horror movie, it, you know, it delivered on it. It has themes. It's about something, but it also, I mean, even more so than my film, because I think his is a more of a straight up genre movie than mine is as a sort of an art house thing. You also get the crazy gore and the the just the bizarreness of it all. And wh- I guess why I was so interested in it is because, I mean, right now, like I said, there is sort of this kind of glut of three person in a house genre films because you know you can control the environment more. And he he does he, he in his film you know the the main character played by CM Punk is basically tearing down this establishment and so from from my perspective ours was all about like building up I th- I think ours the the home in ours is very cluttered and it, it's very it's kind of filled to the brim with all of this kind of antiquated stuff and Travis is is very sparse so it was it was kind of an interesting film to see you know a couple hours before mine. Because they're they're two different sides to a coin, I feel. I think they'd make an interesting double feature because the sensibility on either end is very different.
2: Where did uh where did you find your house?
1: Uh I live in Wyoming. And it was it's a house that's a few blocks from, from where I live. Oh damn. And yeah, yeah. And I would just when I was writing it, I cause I was, I was trying to like I was trying to write something that I knew I could film in a in a very cinematic way. I think a lot of indie films are so caught up with, Oh man, I need this crazy that they, they forget, you know, they forget the cinematography, they forget the production design, they forget to try to make the film look expensive. I see, I see a lot of, you know, not to be an asshole, but like, I, I see a lot of like crappy looking indie movies. Yep. And, and so I wanted to make something that felt expensive and it felt like it had a, like a, like a handmade touch to it, you know? And so I would, I would go by this house every day and I would just look at it and I would, I wrote the script kind of trying to visualize in my mind, like what the inside of the house might look like. And when it got time to film, you know, I I went to the people who own the house who were extremely gracious. And I I asked them if, you know, they would let me film there and, you know, they were down for it. And then they invited me inside, and, and the layout of the house was I, I would say ninety eight percent exactly in line with what I had imagined. So the sort of the the movement in the finished film is almost exactly that of the movement in the script without having really cha- had to change anything.
2: You know, you've, uh, you've, you use the word, uh, kind of make it look cinematic a couple of times in the conversation. And I, I think you hit the, I think you hit the mark on that for I Trap the Devil, um, which then kind of leads me to, you know, what was your relationship with your cinematographer like and, and how did you two work together to, uh, help m- make it appear more cinematic?
1: Well, I mean, it, so, I mean, it's not just my cinematographer, but I'll get into that in a minute. My cinematographer is my best, my best friend. His his name is Bryce Holden and he's brilliant. And you know, he hasn't really, we, we started, we made like a mumble core project a couple years ago and you know, it was, it was more an exercise in like just trying to film something and make it look expensive for nothing. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And it was kind of this road movie and it, it was, it was never meant to be released. It was just kind of one of these things to see if we could. But you know we we just talked a lot about giving the camera work a depth and and making it dark i mean i think so many indie films right now suffer from the fact that like their cinematography is just so crisp and light that everything looks fake it looks very bubbly and, and so we wanted to make this dark we wanted to make it a bit murky and we wanted to add a lot of texture to the picture and so bryce did an incredible job at just creating this this atmosphere in in the at least in the lighting but so much of uh, of looking cinematic is you know it's the lens choices it's it's the wardrobe i my costume designer her, her name's Shen Gower she's fantastic and um all the actors kind of got to sort of what they wanted and she she made it fit within the context and kind of wore the outfits down and then my production designer my art department they really like went above and beyond the call of duty and you know this this movie had a very low budget and, and we clashed because there was only so many days but but we clashed in a way that like you know every, well well everyone's on set they're kind of arguing and bickering because you just keep asking for more and more and more. And and while on set, you know it's a pain in the ass. And you know I could I I could you know look like somewhat of an asshole. I think people's work is better when they're put under pressure. And at the end of the day, when the movie premieres, in, you know if you're if you're clashing over the right kind of clashing because there's bad fighting, you know there's like abusive, and then there's just kind of the trials and tribulations of it. But when people are under pressure, they they deliver better work. And then at the premiere, when the movie looks incredible, nobody is remembering the arguments about you know, add extra stuff in there. Right. And and, and so it it was just. A a big exercise in like making sure that my my production designer who they're 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 so damn talented and and my cinematographer who's so damn talented and my costume designer who's so damn talented and my actors who are so damn talented all of them are like working in unison, and and I feel like if if one of those elements was was missing it wouldn't work as well and, and I I do I th- I think it shows in the film if there if there's one thing besides my act, I think the acting across the board is, is very strong, but I I think the movie has, it tells a story with some style, but not necessarily in a super flashy way.
0: Now the, you know, uh, shooting at such a tight schedule on location, uh, is presents many, many challenges. Uh, but, like, is there something uh, with this production that stood out as a, a, a solution that you can, came up with that was crucial and necessary, but maybe not necessarily something you had anticipated going into the film?
1: Shooting on such a tight schedule, I mean, we basically – what what it taught me and, like, the, my biggest takeaway from it is, is that you just have to decide. Um you know, if I shot this in 30 days, I don't, I don't think the movie would have been – I think the movie probably would have been worse because I would have, um, I would have jacked around and I, I would have <laughs> gotten so much coverage when I, when I didn't need it. And when, you, when you're shooting something on – like we shot on nine days like, with like a day and a half of extra shooting later on. W- when you don't have a lot of time, you have to make a decision. This scene plays out in this one shot because it has to play out in that one shot and you get and you, you design the shot and you shoot it and you get a couple takes and then you move on and it, it makes you have to like think about how to tell the story in the most concise way possible as opposed to just like oh i shoot it from here and then 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 i play with edit. it doesn't work like that here it's like okay we're making the tone we're setting this what are my instincts what do i like and and what looks good to me and you just do it and then you're that's what you have and you know, there's various takes of that. So in editing, you do have stuff to work with and you can move things around. But you don't just have like this glut of footage to sort of find the movie in post. You're finding the movie on set and then you're refining it in post.
0: Is there anything uh, at, at the end of the shoot or at the end of post that you had learned that you wish you had known going in and that you would bring into your next film? Oh, man. Um, well, I, I hate handheld.
1: Um, there's a couple handheld shots in the film and I, I, there, every time I watch it, I just like despise them. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. There's like three and they were born out of again, like necessity and just like being exhausted on the day being like, you know, this is, this is not, I hate to say the word easy because it's not easy, but this is a more time efficient to do that. And I think on my next one, I would like push myself to, to block a little bit more and to keep it locked down because I think, I think having your camera locked down, um, sort of provides a much more cinematic language than handheld. I
0: think handheld's a little too erratic um, and it's too easy. Hmm. I mean, it definitely adds like a, you know, an indie feel to it. You know, you you don't see a lot of it in like the MCU or or whatever the uh, Hollywood uh, big budget movie is.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you know, like unless you're Neil Blomkamp who has like a ton of money to like – to come, to do this kind of like cinema verte like docu style kind of filmmaking i, I think handheld it, it sort of lessens it and you can't you can't cut it and i mean so much about tension is is built in in cutting so you go from one building block to another building block to another building block to another building block you know just with each shot ramping up tension and i think when you get it all in one with a handheld shot you know it's like you're not building the tension you're just sort of like playing it all out in one, which I don't, I don't love it. And that's my big thing. I I just, I just think I would push myself to like, make sure the camera is always locked down and and the
2: movement is motivated.
1: Hmm.
2: Interesting. Um, so I I think one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we got into while we were chatting is, uh, I really loved the voice of the person trapped in the basement. And I'm kind of curious, uh, how did you, uh, settle on what that voice would sound like.
1: That would be Chris Sullivan, who who is who has recently become sort of a household name because of his show This Is Us, which is uh, extremely emotional. Um, it's a it's a very it's a very intense show. I mean, it's it's huge right now. It's on ABC. He's also like Taserface in Guardians of the Galaxy too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's in like the Nick too. He he's a fantastic actor. A really nice guy too, and. um so I, I just, I loved his work in the Nick and I thought he had an interesting voice. And so I reached out to him and, you know, he came in and he, he did that, you know, you to kind of play the role of a disembodied voice. You have to, you have to have a personality just in your, in your kind of spoken tongue. Like he had, you could, you had to be able to sort of know the character out without ever seeing them. And that's extremely hard. You know, I think like anim like actors that work in like animation and stuff like that you know have to do that it has to be a little bit over the top without sort of being phony and and chris does you know he 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 brings a depth to that character that you know it could have just been either very bland and boring or sort of mustache twirling and and you know the the devil or not devil whatever you know it is the person in the basement and Matt and Karen and Sarah, they're, they're, they're all main characters, but they're not the main character. Like the movie is about Steve. Right. And so all of these characters, you know, some are, are in it a lot more like Matt and Karen there. I'd say they're, they're main characters, but like the movie is about Steve and, and his interaction with everybody and sort of like, like the movie is called I Trap the devil and, and it's, it's about him. So I, I, the, the person in the basement wasn't always this massive role. So I just needed somebody to come in for a few scenes and, like, really leave, like, a lasting impression.
2: So when you're shooting and you have people talking to the disembodied voice on the other side of the door, is he on set talking from the other side, or is that all done in post and then you you edit it together?
1: No, that was done on post. Um, I have one of my producers... Uh, Rowan Russell is a, is an actor and he, he was reading the devil's lines uh, and, um, basically because that's, it's one of the great part about having professional actors is like, you know, they're, they're, they're actors, they know how to act. And so even, even with, you know, not necessarily like the final voice there, they're still able to, to deliver these like nuanced performances that make it feel as though, you know, you know, there, it was never unlike that in the first place.
0: But in uh, directing Chris in post, uh, do you have that uh, that devil voice? Are you chasing a particular devil voice? Or are you just arriving uh, based on you know what you knew of, of his of his voice from the Nick?
1: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a combination because I. I, I never, I never want to go to an actor and say, Hey, this is what I want. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they are same with all of my collaborators. They are artists and they, you know, they are expressing themselves artistically and they come to the project wanting to bring something on themselves. And so what we do is we have a conversation and I was, I was uh, almost done with the edit, you know, before ever came on. So I had kind of had the film edited and I knew kind of what the tone was, but but Chris and I played, you know. I mean, we had a like an like a quite a long recording session, and we we did it a bunch of different ways, and and then in post you kind of assemble you kind of assemble by taking the parts that feel tonally adjacent to the story that you're trying to tell, and and you know some takes are a little bit more tongue in cheek, and some takes are a little bit more sinister, and and so it's it's always just trying to build something that feels tonally consistent.
2: Um, so I think we're kind of coming up on the end of the time that we had set out for this conversation. Um, and one of the questions that we like to ask everybody is sort of a, you know, uh, last question of the day is, you know, Brad and I have been very fortunate to talk with a lot of independent filmmakers. And I think the through line for all of them is that, you know, making movies is, is really, really hard. I mean, as, as we've talked about in this conversation already. Um, And so what we like to ask folks when they come by is, you know, looking back at this project, is there a a particular moment uh, that you will look back at, um, maybe if you encounter a a low time or a rough time on your next project uh, that was uniquely satisfying and and made you feel like, you know, this is the thing that makes it all worth it for me, um, and then use that to kind of boo you in the future? Oh,
1: man. I think there was was a time where I had had just locked the film um, before sound design. Before no, it it was a little after. It was after the the second round of sound design, and we worked on the sound design for about eight months. And the movie wasn't colored, but you know, I had basically been watching it for myself, and and I I had a friend over who he, you know he had originally he had read the script but that was sort of his extent to to the knowledge of the film you know he hadn't seen any cuts he hadn't seen any stills and we sat down to watch the movie because i just wanted to get his thoughts on the sound design and when you're when you're watching something with an audience the air becomes uh sort of palpable and and you kind of know if things are working or not and I was watching my friend and, and I, I just remember looking and it was, it was a part where, um, Chris was speaking and I just turned to my friend and he, he was smiling and a really like wide smile. And, and I was like, okay, cool. Like this thing that I made that is very personal, that, it, that is a little weird and idiosyncratic without, you know, it, it was working for somebody and it doesn't have to work for everybody. It's never going to work for everybody but it was working for somebody. And that was that was very satisfying to me and it was very reassuring in that like I was like okay cool like this person likes the movie and you know I didn't just waste all of this time creating something that wasn't going to hit any bases. So that that was very and I think that's kind of the dragon that I'll constantly be chasing to just sort of see if you know if this if this satisfies people while also like fulfilling me like artistically.
0: Well, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I can let you know that it also satisfies these two dorks on the other it. end of the line. We really <laughs> enjoyed your film, and we're excited to see it meet the rest of the world, and we're even more excited to see what you do next. Uh, thank for, you so much. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, for our listeners, where can they find you? What, what can they Where can they track you down? What can they be on the lookout for social media-wise or whatever?
1: Uh, Social media wise, um, I have, I have Twitter, my Twitter's, uh, at I am Josh Lobo. And that's kind of where I interact with people the most. Um, you know, I have Instagram too, which you can find me pretty easily. There's very few Josh Lobos in the world. (laughs) Um, and yeah, that's kind of where I like interact with, with people the most.
2: What's the, uh, release plan for the movie right now?
1: Uh, the movie comes out on April 26th. Um, it, it'll be in limited theaters. I, I, I'm not totally sure on the theater count, but I know that a lot of the major cities are getting it. Um, but it's also on video on demand. So I also, I think it's a movie that like, it, it's great to see it in the theater, but it, it's also, it would, it's also rewarding to just like watch it on like a TV too. It works too.
2: Yeah. I mean, I watched it at home. I was into it the entire time, but if you can see it big cool. and loud, you definitely want to. It's gorgeous, man.
1: For sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate
0: it. It's been great guys. All right, Josh. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye, guys. bye. And we're back in the door cave. How about that? Pretty cool conversation. Pretty cool dude. Yeah, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. And yeah, if we haven't convinced you already, go watch I Trap the Devil. It's on demand. It's
2: near a theater near you, hopefully. You guys, and like, I mean, not for nothing, because I've I've seen the movie already. I hope you've seen the movie too. but But if you haven't, this is exactly the kind of person that you want to support so that we get to see whatever it is that they make next.
0: And then after you see the film, celebrate the film online. Hell yeah. Josh is... You know, he's on Twitter, he's on Instagram, he wants to hear from you. Go tell him that you liked his movie, go tell the world that you liked his movie. A tweet can make all the difference with independent cinema.
2: I, and I think it's funny because people think, you know, oh, they made a movie, so it's got this big margin. But boy, if you convince just a handful of people to go and see this movie, it can be a huge difference for the indie filmmaker behind that movie. Okay, Billy. So, our listeners, where mm. can they find you this week? Yeah, so you can find me on the social medias at WB Das on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Uh, and you can also find me uh, at Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, which is a podcast project I'm doing with my nine year old daughter as we work together to expand her cinematic horizon. Uh, we just covered Major League for its 30th anniversary, and we'll be going on a little sports binge for a while. So tune into that. And follow our other dorks, uh, Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren,
0: uh, Brian Young at The Turtle Dork, Darren Smith at The Disco Dork, and I am Brad Gullickson at Mouth Dork on all social medias. And come back next week where we're going to be talking to producer extraordinaire Travis Stevens about his feature film directorial debut, The Girl on the Third Floor. And it's amazing. It's a really cool film. Yes. So
2: happy.
0: So next week, (laughs) join us. Take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams?